Welcome back to the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. But we realize that whenever Reformation happens, in the history of the church, things get messy. And after the last couple of synods, nobody's going to disagree that things are really getting messy in the Christian Reformed Church. So we're having conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We're dropping episodes every single Sunday evening. It's also important for you to know that you are our marketing plan. We rely on you to spread the word about what we're doing at the Messy Reformation. We rely on you to share our content. We also rely on you to give us five-star reviews and provide good feedback for our podcast so that the algorithms push our content out into the world. You are our marketing plan. You can also support us financially on Patreon. All the money from Patreon is being used to fund online hosting and to build the platform of the Messy Reformation. You may even see a Messy Reformation conference coming in 2024. So keep your eyes peeled for an announcement. With all that said, we're going to get to part two of my conversation with Cedric Parcells on Gravamen. Yes, uh, you know, one of the people that she mentions is um, Alvin Planinga, who was a professor at Notre Dame and, you know, at least from the early 80s, um, he has basically held a view of free will that's not in accordance with the Reformed Confessions. And um, he, at least that's, I would argue that. Uh, and so and he wrote a gravamen, <laughs> confessional with difficulty gravamen as a result. So I guess he would agree with it too. Yeah. Um, so she, he, so yeah, she uses him as an example of someone who did this. Um, my response to that is, um, a few things. One, I, I think that um, I think that the evidence is is that those were instances of abuse of the church order to do something that wasn't permitted. So, for example, um, I spoke with some people who were <clears throat> in the Christian Reformed Church uh, and very heavily involved on the more conservative end of things. And I sort of one of the things I did was I said, "What's your recollection of when this whole thing happened? Like, were you under the impression that this is what confessional difficulty gravamen?" And the person I'm thinking of in particular here is, is uh, Cornelius Venema, uh, who's a president of Mid America Seminary now. And I asked him, "I was like, what did your understanding of this?" And he said, "If we had, un- if we thought that confessional difficulty gravamina." was a way for people to take exception to the creeds and confessions, the conservatives would have left the church. <laughs> so yeah. that's, that's one point. Um, the, the second point is, is I think that there was, there was confusion even into the early thousands uh, with regard to what to do when you have people who have, who disagree with the confessions. So for example, uh, there was, I think it was Alberta, Alberta North or Alberta South, one of the two Alberta's uh, classes, um, they actually sent a, a, a an overture to Synod. I think it was like Synod 2003 or 2004 uh, saying, hey, look, you know, a third of our classes isn't using the form of subscription because they feel they can't sign it because um, they they don't believe everything that's contained in the confessions. 
And so we need to do something about that. And what's interesting is two things. One is if it were true that confessional difficulty gravamina were a way of taking exception, right? Why didn't someone in Classis Alberta simply, hey, guys, we have a process for this. That's that's one thing. The second thing I'd say is Synod didn't say that either. Synod said, stop it. <laughs> stop yeah. doing this. Um, and um, also did not mention confessional difficulty gravamen. So if this was so well known that you could use confessional difficulty gravamen in this way, why didn't Synod bring it up? Um, I think, you know, you can find um, articles in the banner, I believe from the late 2000s, um, early aughts, right? Uh, sort of lamenting the the strict subscriptionism of, of the Christian Reformed Church. And so again, if this is just the general understanding of these things, then why are all these people running around in positions of authority not understanding it? I think that what likely happened was after the after the distinction between the two different types of gravamen came up, um, sometime in the 80s, uh, some people decided that this would be a way to sort of to go in that direction, uh, but they didn't do so with the authority and the in the blessing of synod when they did that. Yeah. So uh, I just think uh, I just think that um, they they sure they can say you know people started using started using them in this way. And I was like sure, but there's no there's no official basis for that and that was not the common understanding of what they were to, intended to be used for. Yeah. They can, anything could be misused. Right. Right. So, yeah. So. One of the, one of the conversations I want to have is uh, around uh, timing because that has seemed mm. to be kind of one of the big uh, sticking points. I, I actually, I think, um, and I could be wrong, but, but I think because of uh, your work that you've done, I think a lot of people are, are kind of understanding that that a confessional difficulty gravamen was never designed to be a long-standing exception mm-hmm. or not not meant to be used for a settled and binding conviction is something right. else that and so um so I think people are are kind of moving in that direction and even if you look at um if you look at the two the majority and the minority report that came out of my committee even the minority report says that people should be actively seeking to resolve mm. this difficulty but the minority report didn't want to set a timeline on that they just said you should revisit it once a year to make sure that this person's working through it um and yet so and the majority report felt like it was important to put some kind of a timeline on it so that it couldn't keep going on into perpetuity and mm. so um so what are your thoughts on some of that as far as timelines for gravamen or, or not? So um, my overture, I'll just say from my original, my overture that I submitted, that my council submitted to classes Granville and that classes Granville sent on to Synod uh, did not have a time limit involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we wanted to clarify what the purpose of confessional difficulty gravamen were. Uh, or is, or was, however, whatever the proper yeah. verb is there, yeah. and uh, is, and then, uh, but the added bit on that was, and this was to address the concern about people not taking oaths they shouldn't, 
was to say, okay, once you've submitted one of these confessional difficulty gravamen, you may not be delegated to classes or synod, right? So that was the idea. <clears throat> and um, so there was, a, that was how we were building in accountability. And I think that you can't have the, we can't have the conversation about time limits unless we all are on the same page and understand that the CRC is living in a moment of profound trust deficit. Yeah. Right. I mean, this is, um, you know, in an ideal world, perhaps, well, maybe not an ideal world, but you know, it, it would be nice if we could, you know, you know, live in different locations around the country and, and have, you know, say, look, you know, we can trust the wisdom of this particular council. Right to to handle the gravamen in a responsible manner, um, but the fact of the matter is is that over the last two years we have seen numerous churches and even classes uh, that have basically decided that they're not going to play the game, right? Yeah. Um, yep. And so now I think realistically, uh, I do think realistically we have to have a much clearer a much clearer understanding of the time limitations uh that like what your report was suggesting right um perhaps in the perhaps in the 60s right in the high in the in the last glory days of the confessionalists uh something like the um the minority report would have been sufficient right because mm-hmm. you had the culture you had the church culture that would have supported that kind of uh, that would have made it more of a healthy thing. I think that because of the the lack of health in the church right now, uh, there needs to be we need to create more uh, measures of accountability, and one of them has to be the the issue of time. Um, so my thoughts are in time. How much time? That's the great question, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and um, one you know. One of the delegates from my classes, Brandon Hahn, got up at Synod and talked about his own sort of journey. I think it was a three and a half year, four year journey mm-hmm. in, in yep. a way um, of, you know, adopting the revisionist position. And then the as he left seminary, sort of coming around to the to the con- confessional position, uh, yep. the orthodox position. And um, so I think that. Uh, you know, especially for a minister of the word, um, I think if a minister of the word starts to have concerns about a doctrine, um, yeah, I think that a, a a good period of time would be what what your committee was putting together, which is basically, you know, the way your committee had put it together was you submit it to your con your your council, right, and you have a year. Right? Mm-hmm. a year to deal with it. And then if that, if you're, and that, you know, built into that, I'm assuming the council would want to say, okay, we're going to, what are you, then there'd be the council coming alongside you saying, okay, who are you going to talk to? Who are you going to study? What are you going to read? You know, etc. You know, let us be available to help you get the resources you need. There could, there'd be all that conversation over the year, right? Versus mm-hmm. just someone who's like, well, I got this doubt and I'm not sure about it and I'll get to it when I get to it, right? There'd be more of a regimented uh, way of doing it. And then if at the end of that year, you're not done according to the 
majority report, you'd submit the same thing to, to classes and classes would give you a year, right? Yeah. So you're just, you're piling on the resources, right? Yeah. For someone right there. It's not like you're leaving them. Like no one's going to get through, you know, that with, uh, if it's done responsibly, right. That without having done a whole a ton of work. Um, and if, but if at the end of the second year, it doesn't work, then you send it to synod. Right. Mm-hmm. And Synod gives you a whole year. Right. And now you're probably talking about more resources and more conversations and more books and more, you know, all kinds of things. And uh, and then even at the end, at the end of that, um, even after you at the end of that year, your report was very clear that after that, you can always submit a confessional revision gravamen, Right. Mm-hmm. Which is going to take another, you know, at least. Uh, at least at another least year, at least a yeah. year, right? To, to work there. And to be honest with you, uh, what's going to happen, uh, you know, in, in the past, uh, when people believed that, well, in the past, there have been, um, you know, study committees that have been struck sometimes mm-hmm. when it comes to issues. I mean, the Harry Boer case, when he submitted his confessional revision gravamen with reprobation, they, they commissioned a, a study committee. Uh, to to do the work, and they reported back in what was it 1980? Yeah, so three years is yeah, three the three years. So we're talking about a we're talking about a significant amount of time that could be used. Um, so you know that seems that seems reasonable. I think yeah. the I think the key though is is that you know in in Harry's case, I don't I don't think from what I've read from stuff he read wrote later in life. Um, I'm not, I'm not persuaded that he ever changed his mind. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, um, I think that, um, and you know, he, he's, he's passed on and, you know, so let's, but, um, I do think though, at the end of that process, if you have submitted a confessional difficulty gravamen, uh, and you then you submit a confessional revision gravamen, and the church says no, we're not changing. I think the then you need to have the personal integrity to say this is a part of Christ's church that I can't belong to. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I think so. And then and then if you don't have that integrity, then there needs to be instructions to begin discipline, right? Right. Which actually discipline also takes another year <laughs> or whatever right. too, right? And so. Um, uh, that's one of the things, you know, we don't like to talk discipline, but that was part of our report as well, that after all of this process, and if the person hasn't willingly stepped down, then discipline would start. Um, but then the, the point of discipline, according to our church order is not punitive. It's not to just punish them. It's the point is reconciliation and restoration. We want to see them. So discipline would start trying to bring them back into the fold again. Um, and so again, so we're talking like a five to six year period. I know I would say, and I've said this to a few people was the, the wording of our report on the timeline clear enough. No, I don't think so. I think people were confused by it. They saw it said six months or classes, whichever is greater. And then whichever. Mm -hmm. And so they saw six months and they were like, Oh my goodness, only six months. And we're like, well, and then because we ran out of time, we never got a chance to explain that to the floor. And so, um, you know, in that way, we, we could have served Synod maybe a little better. But 
but uh, you've got a couple of days to do a lot of work. And so that was what we got done. And so, and by God's providence, we have another year now to do some work and to get things clarified and set up so that hopefully Synod 2024, we have a lot more clarity coming out regarding Gravamen. One of the things I want to, I want to talk about though, as we kind of starting, starting to come toward the end here, but you mentioned, uh, the CRC being in a low trust environment. And I think we're there. Um, I think everybody kind of recognizes it. I think that was even brought up multiple times um, on the synod floor that we're in a low trust environment. And uh, one of the things that I see that's uh, a benefit to going into like a strict subscriptionist or sitting in that, or at least clarifying gravamen is it actually, I think it builds trust Mm -hmm. because right now we don't trust people because we don't really know where anybody stands. And we have a whole bunch of people in the denomination who are signing the covenant for office bearers, but not actually holding to the teachings of the covenant for office bearers. And, uh, and so we can't, we don't really trust everybody because we feel like they're people who are not showing integrity in some of this. And so I think if we can move in this direction better and uh, clarify Gravamen and kind of shore this up, we'll actually start, rebuilding and regaining trust amongst office bearers in the CRC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think that that's, you know, there are other reformed churches, right? There's the PCA, there's the Orthodox Presbyterian church. Uh, these, these churches, um, I don't think that they have a, they, they subscribe to what's called the Westminster confession of faith. And if you think that, uh, our confessions are detailed, right? <laughs> Look at the Westminster yeah. Confession. Um, and they do have, I think it's sort of an informal kind of way of taking exception to things. Mm-hmm. It's done at classes, though, or what they would call a presbytery. Um, and, uh, but, you know, they, they have their own problems with that. And it does, it does um, create stress and strain too. Yeah. Um, so I do think that um, I think the, the, the wisdom of, of the strict subs- subscriptionist is, is uh, no, we're going to, we're all going to do this together. Yeah. Um, so that we have, that we have that, that confidence in one another. Yeah. yeah so regardless I mean, of where you are in the country, uh, where you're ministering, uh, we can, you know, we can get together in, Pella, right, or or wherever, uh, and uh, and we can say, you know what, there are lots of things that we might disagree on, but when it comes to these core elements of what it means to be reformed and Christian, um, we're on the same page. Yeah, Amen. And it it's a yeah, it's a huge deal in a lot of ways. Um, I was just listening to Kevin DeYoung. Um, on, so Kevin Young has a podcast, life books and everything. And, uh, they were interviewing him about his life and stuff. And he had made a comment at the, about, as they were kind of leaving the RCA, that he had a hard time being in the RCA because he would actually, when people would leave his church and move to a new, new city, he wouldn't say, we'll just go find an RCA church. He would actually say, don't go to the RCA. <laughs> right. If you go to another city, don't look for an RCA church unless I tell, unless you hear that it's a good one. Mm-hmm. Just assume it's bad. And he was saying that was really hard. And 
I wouldn't say we're in that kind of position in the CRC, but I do know that when people go to another city, so I have a lot, when people leave our church, move to another state, they go and they'll ask me like, is there a good CRC in this area? Because they know that there are some good and there are some bad. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's teaching wise. And so not like production wise, but like teaching wise, uh, we don't have this consistency where it used to be, you could go to a CRC in another city and just have confidence that, that, Hey, they're going to be teaching from God's word. They're going to be solid. And, and, uh, and so the desire for us is to, to get back to that place in the CRC where people can in good conscience, go to another city and go and join us, our CRC church and have confidence that, they're teaching in line with the doctrines of our church. Yeah. I, you know, just sort of, I have a thought about that, but first I want to sort of go back and, and complete my thought about uh, strict subscriptionism. You know, the Westminster confession of faith is a very detailed document. Um, mm-hmm. Very much more detailed than ours is. And I've had friends from the PCA who joined the CRC who have told me like, this is, you could understand why you'd have exceptions to a thing like the yeah. Westminster confession. Cause it's so detailed. But we're talking like the, the the Belgian Confession and Heidelberg Catechism. Like this is like standard reform doctrine. Like this isn't this wouldn't this would be like like literally the Heidelberg Catechism was written for children. Right? Like, yeah. um, so uh, this sort of standard stuff. So subscribing to our confessions is actually a whole lot easier uh yeah. than it is to subscribe to something like the Westminster Confession because we we aren't as particular as you were. Yeah. Um but to talk a bit to it to your example of the low trust um and wanting to rebuild that for sure. Um I mean I'm I'll be bold enough to say here that um I've had members of my family who um wanted to wanted to they wanted to get a job in Washington DC and they asked me whether or not what I thought about Washington DC uh, CRC, which is an openly affirming congregation. Uh, and I said, you know what? There's a wonderful reformed Baptist church. <laughs> um, so um, that's where we're at, where CRC ministers are encouraging members of their own family <laughs> to go to Baptist churches. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that's, I want to jump on that point because I think that's, really important because uh there's this weird caricature about us who are wanting to kind of recover really what we've always held this more strict subscriptionist like well you just are not ecumenical enough you don't you know you don't you want to be just so narrow you're narrow-minded and and uh and it's funny to just assume that because we want our denomination to have a strict subscriptionist model that we're not willing to work with other people or or encourage people to go to another church i mean i've got members of my family actually most of my 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 dad and my brother and his family they're all part of reformed baptist churches mm-hmm. because they kind of changed their mind on on matters of baptism and join that and that i can see and i've gone to their churches and i'm like these are great churches. They're discipling their people. And I work with one of my closest friends is the E-Free pastor in town. And, mm-hmm. and uh, we work together all the time. It just, we're not going to, we're not going to be in the same church together and pretend like we agree on everything. Right. And, yeah. uh, and I think there's actually a beauty in us having these distinct denominations where we know where we stand on it. And we can even just firmly stand in those places and then work together 
in lots of different ways. I think, I think we need to get beyond this idea of having one church, one denomination that mm. really doesn't believe anything. And that's actual unity. And I'm like, no, that I think unity is being able to stand where we stand and then work together in the name of Christ. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think, yeah, there was a, there was an article written for the reform journal a while back that someone was sort of making this same argument about, you know, their CRC in Ontario somewhere, I guess. And, and uh, how wonderful it was when their church started this like soup supper thing and the Catholics came and the Presbyterians came and the Anglicans came and wasn't this wonderful? <laughs> like, yeah, it is wonderful. That's a, why, why do you think that the, why do you think that the, the, the confessionalist Orthodox you know, conservative people would be opposed to something like that? Some of my, uh, some of my, uh, you know, I'm someone who uh, just, just last night, uh, you know, I was having a conversation with uh, some guys, one's an Orthodox Jew and one's an Eastern Orthodox guy. And, um, you know, even speaking over faiths, I mean, we we're able to have good mm-hmm. conversations and constructive conversations and encourage one another and things of that nature. Um, so this whole this whole sense that uh, we have to be, you know, I think that there, this especially comes from churches like uh, some in Grand Rapids East where it's like, why, you know, go form your own denomination or, you know, go join the RCA. And there's this assumption, I think, that's like, well, that means that we're just ending the conversation, period. It's like, no, no, it's just uh, we cannot do effective ministry together, right, with this fundamental of a disagreement. And but that doesn't mean that we can't continue to uh, do things together in terms of, you know, ministering to the cities and uh, and even having theological conversations. We do that with our Reformed Baptist friends. We do right. that with the Roman Catholics. We do that with, you know, so, um, yeah, I think that there is this, it's almost, um, what do you want to call it? I don't know if it's fear-mongering. I don't know if it's fear-mongering, mm-hmm. but, it's, but it's definitely trying to paint this, uh, well, you're saying that uh, no one can possibly be a part of the body of Christ if they disagree with you or something like this. Well, no, that's not what we're saying. No, we're just saying you can't be a part of the CRC. Right. And there's a lot of good denominations out there that you can be a part of and, yeah. and you can be a part of that denomination in good conscience. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, and that's okay. And yeah, uh, yeah I, I, I get kind of baffled by it. It's one of the, one of the things, and I don't, I haven't come up with a good reason for it yet. I've spent a lot of time thinking about it, but I, but I'm confused when I talk to some of my uh, more uh, revisionist, progressive, whatever you want to call them, brothers and sisters in the CRC. And I say, how can you actually stay in the denomination still in good conscience mm-hmm. after two synods have kind of reaffirmed these things and, and you still seem like you just have no intention of going anywhere how can you do that in, with integrity? I just, I can't, I can't understand it. And uh, they haven't given me a good answer for that. Whereas if the the last two synods would have gone very differently, um, I couldn't have remained here in good conscience and with integrity. I would have left and found another denomination and, and I would have been sad about it. But I also realized the body of Christ is bigger than the CRC as well. So I could have gone and served somewhere else. And um, uh, there's, there's a mind there's a difference between conservatives and progressives on some of these things. And I haven't got a 
we talk about it quite a bit, but I don't have a good solid answer to it because I think it's probably different for everybody. Mm-hmm. No, I, we're in the same boat. I think our our it was a matter of conversation leading up to Synod 23 in my council room about, okay, if if uh, Synod 23 does not maintain the confessionality of our teaching on human sexuality, uh, what are we going to do? And yeah. and um, I had already made it clear, <laughs> look, I will look for a new denomination if uh, the CRC changes on this. Yeah. So, um, and so, but, you know, I think, uh, I do think that some of this has to do with, there may be different mindsets, right? That, that people I've, I think that, yeah. And yeah. And I think that part of it also could be a culture thing. You know, a lot of that came up at Synod about, yeah. it's like, um, you know, some of it is, well, what about my family relationships and things like that? And my attitude is it's like, well, it's a free country, right? You can, you know, go to a different church. I, 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 part of that's because I wasn't born in the Christian Reformed Church, right? Mm-hmm. I'm a transplant. So it's sort of like, it's sort of like um, my identity is not built into being CRC per se, mm-hmm. right? My identity more is I want to be a faithful minister of the gospel, right? Yeah. And and I want to belong to a reformed denomination. That's That's what matters, you know, not yeah. whether or not, Uncle John and I are sitting at the same table and can say that we belong to the same denomination. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. And like I said, I, I've got the, I'm this weird hybrid, right. Where like six generations ago, maybe seven generations ago, my ancestors came over from the Netherlands and started Pease Christian Reformed Church and actually were kind of founding members of the city and the school and the church, you know, what CRC people do, they start a little town, they start a church, they start a Christian school, right? They were all part of that. And yet I didn't grow up in the CRC. I didn't join the CRC till I was 15. And so I've got these like CRC roots, but I grew up in a, in a kind of little Baptist church, a Bible Baptist church in Montana and came back to it. So I'm kind of a transplant in some ways. And yet my roots go deep. And yet, um, I'm in the same place as you. I love the Christian Reformed Church. I mean, I love our doctrines. I love our teachings. I love our history in a lot of ways. Um, and yet that's not where my identity is. Mm-hmm. Like, And even this, this podcast, we started it because we want to see Reformation happen in the CRC. And yet if it's the Lord's will that Reformation doesn't happen and the denomination dies, it will be a sad day. But it's not the end of the church. It's not the end of anything. You know, we we will right. move on and we'll continue to minister. Um, and yet it's still important, I think, to fight for Reformation because I think God gets more glory. That's one of the reasons I've told people. That's why I want to see Reformation in the CRC because God gets more glory when uh, when denominations go from being in the shambles that we are into something greater and more glorious, not because of our work, but because of his work and the Holy spirit, uh, moving. Mm-hmm. And so I think, uh, I think God will be glorified, uh, through reformation happening in the CRC. Isn't it, uh, doesn't Jesus say that, um, there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you're absolutely right. It's if we can, if we can lead people to repentance uh and and faith 
I think you're absolutely right. Even if it's, even if it's one church, one classes, right? Yeah. If you think about the amount of rejoicing that happens when one person repents, think about the rejoicing in heaven over a denomination that repents. Mm. I mean, that's a, that's a glorious thing. And, uh, it's a good reminder for all of us in the midst of this, because there's all the political stuff that happens and there's all of the frustrating things that go on and we just kind of want to throw our hands up. And yet uh, it's more than just trying to win. Uh, this isn't just about winning. This is about being faithful, but also seeing God's name lifted up, God's name glorified. And uh, and I'll be thinking about this for the next week and the rejoicing that's going to happen in heaven. Um, as the CRC repents, and we are slowly, even this last synod, I think there's an act of repentance as we kind of double down and say, no, we're going to continue to repent on this issue. We're going to continue to be faithful um, in matters of our understanding of sexuality. And now this next synod, we're going to have another opportunity to repent and on our lack of discipline, I think, and we're going to have to repent of that as a denomination. And part of repenting is seeking forgiveness, but then walking in line with what the Lord has taught. And so we need to repent of that and move forward. And if we do that, there will be massive rejoicing in heaven um, as uh, as our denomination continues to repent and, and walk in step with God's will. So we're at the end here, Cedric, and we always give everybody just some final words. You can say it about gravamen or whatever's on your heart and mind, uh, but I always remind we've got lots of people who listen to our podcast. It's not just pastors anymore. We've got elders, deacons, lay people, soccer moms listening to this podcast. And so what would kind of be your final words you'd want to leave with them? I would want to say be encouraged um, because there is good work being done in the Christian Reformed Church. Um, Like many people leaving Synod 23, although I wasn't a delegate, um, seeing you could, you could be a little bit discouraged, right. That we weren't able to get everything done in terms of your report and and things of that nature. But, you know, we are, uh, actually a lot of good stuff has been done and not just on this issue of confessionality of, of sexuality and gravamen and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, Synod was one of the be- most beautiful moments was uh, when Synod said, you know what, we need to be a gospel-centered denomination, like mm-hmm. at every level, right? <laughs> like mm-hmm. I was sitting in the, I was sitting in the balcony, right? <laughs> and I almost let, very un- uncharacteristically of me, I almost let out an amen right? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. kind of after that vote was taken. And so there's, there are great things happening in, uh, our, in our denomination. And, you know, you were talking about how how you love the history of the CRC and anyone who knows me and has listened to this probably knows I do too. Um, and just think of, you know, those people in the Netherlands who, because of their, because of their confessional fidelity, were willing to split from the state church. were willing to have their, their pissed, their pastors were willing to go to jail, be fined at exuberant you know, prices uh, really have their livelihoods destroyed uh, in order to be faithful proclaimers of, you know, what they understand. We understand to be the truth of God's word and to have that, that, but they went through all that and they came to the United States in the 1800s, right? And the difficulty of living at that time. And they established the CRC and they said, we're, 
we're going to keep going. And now, you know, there's a lot, uh, obviously, that we want to see corrected in the CRC, but, you know, their faithfulness has has touched a lot of people. And uh, God willing, will continue to touch people as we sort of reclaim the vision that they had of a, a confessionally faithful church. And so I, but I'd say be encouraged. There's a lot of good things going on in the Christian Reformed Church. And uh, I'm, I am proud and glad to be part of it. That's all we have for this week. If you want to help us out and support the Messy Reformation, another thing you can do is head on over to themessyreformation.com. Look in the menu bar and find Join the Reformation. By clicking on that, you can sign up for our newsletter where you'll get episodes sent right directly to your email inbox, and it will give us the opportunity to communicate with our audience, which is one of the biggest struggles of a podcast. So head on over there and sign up for our newsletter. Now, stay tuned next week for a conversation from Willie and I on current events in the CRCNA. But until then, don't forget this is Christ Church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation.